continue with the question, what do we know about the holiness of God from the Bible? We have quoted Revelation 4.8, that great passage of worship that goes on in heaven to the great adorable Godhead. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. We have seen that holiness is a descriptive term that pictures a state of action rather than some constitutional fixity. That this action is a voluntary disposition of love or a state of mind where the highest well-being of all creatures is willed as an ultimate end according to the relative worth of each. It is right and proper for God to seek his own welfare first because of his incomparable greatness and moral worth. This disposition requires, however, that all moral creatures be given impartial consideration. Because God is motivated in all his actions by pure love or true benevolence, it may be said that God is holy. God is holy because he is love. Love is the essence of God's moral character, an abiding choice of God's free will. Holiness expresses that veneration and reverence which is due to God for his continual display of love. Love thus is God's essential moral attribute. Holiness is that austerity of character which is an attribute of love. The Old Testament placed a very practical sense on the holiness of God, as epitomized in Leviticus 11.44, where we read, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Holiness is thus God's mode of life, and in a similar manner is to be our mode of life. In the New Testament, we have a similar presentation. In fact, the above verse is quoted in 1 Peter 1.16. God's great moral light and understanding is a standard of truth to which he conforms all his actions and invites us to do the same. We have considered many scriptures in which God declares himself to be holy. It is applied to all members of the Holy Trinity, to the Father, to the Lord Jesus, and many times to the Holy Spirit. Holiness to the Lord was the engraving upon a golden plate worn on the headdress of the high priest in the Old Testament worship service and was the expression of worshipful hearts. We now remark in the fourth place that the temple worship instituted in Old Testament times in the Jewish economy was called holy and the temple itself with its most sacred sanctuary. We turn, for example, to Exodus chapter 26 and verses 33 and 34. Here we read about the portable tabernacle in the wilderness, and there was a holy place, and further into the inner sanctuary, a most holy place, or a holy of holies. God is giving instructions to Moses for the establishment of this great vehicle of worship. And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tashes, that thou mayest bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. The ark of the testimony, recall, 
contain the Ten Commandments. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. So in the tabernacle that God instituted to be built, there was a holy place and a most holy place. In Exodus chapter 30 and verse 10, we read that once a year the high priest went into this inner holy place with a portion of the blood of the sacrifice for the sin of the people. The whole service set forth the austere greatness and holiness of God. And Aaron shall make an atonement upon the horns of it once in a year with the blood of the sin offering of atonements. Once in the year shall he make atonement upon it throughout your generations. It is most holy unto the Lord. And so this worship service and the tabernacle was most holy unto the Lord and expressed his reaction toward the sins of men. The soundness of this worship service sanctified the inner sanctuary as we read about in Leviticus chapter 6 verses 24 and 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and to his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. This system of offerings had a profound meaning. It was very unlovely, of course, but so is sin an unlovely thing. And God instituted this system of animal sacrifices as a type of the great sacrifice which John the Baptist called the Lamb of God. The Lord Jesus Christ should come into the world to die for the sins of the whole world. But before he should come, God ordained that man should have something tangible to put his faith upon and something conscious to show him the seriousness and the awfulness of sin. And so the system of animal sacrifices was instituted until the great sacrifice of the Lord Jesus should be fulfilled. This terminated the Old Testament economy. And so it was a most holy occasion and expressed the feeling of God toward the sins of the world. We read also in Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 27 that the sacrifices were to be carried without the camp and burned as indicative of the holiness of God in his reaction against sin. And the bullock for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins and their flesh and their dung, and so forth. But now we come in the fifth place to the consideration of the word holy as it is applied to man. And thus we have a reflection of its intended meaning as applied to God. Holiness in man was a state of obedience to the righteous requirements of God, a state of unselfish devotion, a condition wherewith man lives for the same unselfish end that God lives for. Thus, by similarity, holiness in God must also be an active quality. 
And so in the consideration of the term holiness as applied to man, we have a reflection as to its meaning relative to God, for we have the same words involved. In Exodus 19 and verse 6, we read that Israel was to be a holy nation to the Lord as a special possession, a special cherished ownership. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and an holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. God is addressing Moses. So the nation Israel was to be a holy possession of the Lord. And in Exodus 22:31 we read these words, And ye shall be holy men unto me. So individuals of that nation were admonished to a holy and devoted walk before God. In the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy, and verses 6 to 11, we read this wonderful expression, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. But let us also read the 6th chapter, verses 4 to 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And then chapter 7, verse 6. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because ye were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack unto him that hateth him, he will repay him to his face. Oh, how solemn is this word to any who are God-haters and defiers. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments and the statutes and the judgments which I command thee this day to do them. So these people were intended to be a holy people unto the Lord, and holiness was to consist in keeping the commandments of the Lord. So holiness was an action a voluntary state of life, a willing and a happy conformity to the ways of God. As Isaiah was given to prophesy concerning the coming kingdom reign of Christ, the expression, the way of holiness, was used, indicating that holiness was an active state of life. As we read in 35.8, And an highway shall be there, and a way, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for those. The wayfaring man, though fools, shall not err therein. So God makes his pathway so clear that none can be too ignorant to understand God's righteous and loving requirements. And Isaiah therefore used the term the way of holiness, indicative 
that it was a pathway, a life to be lived. Concerning John the Baptist, Herod said that he was a just man and a holy man, or as the Revised Version renders it, a righteous and holy man, which conclusion he had come to by watching his life. Thus we see that holiness is an active state of being, and that holiness in man must be similar to holiness in God. And if holiness in man is a state of activity, likewise it must be in God. But we shall consider further scriptures along this line. Our Heavenly Father, how we thank thee again for thy revelation of thy word. We do thank thee for giving us the treasure of thy truth that reveals to us thy great and austere being. And how we thank thee that although thou art so profoundly holy and so profoundly above all that we can conceive of, yet thou hast condescended to manifest thy love to us in giving the Lord Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. May many repent of sin, exercise faith in the Lord Jesus, find forgiveness and restoration to thy great heart of love and pursue a happy and a holy life here and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.